Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Today's Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1184. As for you, you were dead in the transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he may show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can be boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, uh, Magdalena. And uh, a warm greetings to you all. Welcome to you. Good morning. It's lovely to be here together. And... um, I just want to say before I begin, I know that as a, this is a church full of Crystal Palace fans that I can neither confirm nor deny my own involvement in the uh, Spurs takeover that uh, began this morning. <clears throat> when Emily and I uh, moved to London from Oxfordshire, we were, we were sad that we were leaving behind uh, school campus, the countryside. And it took for us to really arrive here with uh, two kids under two to work out what life was going to be like. Before long, we discovered this amazing thing that so much in this city is free. Sure, there's plenty that's very expensive too, but there are an amazing number of parks and museums and beautifully managed gardens and attractions, all sorts of stuff that will entertain the kids for days on end that anywhere else in the country you would pay handsomely for. And here, it is free of charge. Uh, Here's a picture of one place that really brought that home to us. At one particular moment in the Natural History Museum, 
And Marina was two, I think, that's our eldest. And uh, we'd spend a bit of time, as you do, looking into the glass eyes of the uh, um, stuffed polar bear. Uh, but what she really wanted to do was just run around on that endless, stunning, patterned mosaic floor in the main hall. Round and round and round she went. And I remember thinking, I can't believe this is free. We can do this for as long as we like. Now, why do I begin with this? I begin with this because I think, in general, we do struggle to believe things are free. We live in a world where, most of the time, things don't tend to happen except for some kind of payment. And in fact, we're taught to be suspicious, aren't we, of anyone who offers something at no cost with no strings attached. And the reason we're taught to be suspicious about that is because we have a deep feeling, a deep sense that it can't actually be like that. So if something presents like that, there must be a catch. There must, this must be some kind of scam. We tend to believe that any good that we can obtain needs to be worked for and worked for hard. I remember a friend of uh, mine uh, recounting his father's last words to him. He said this, remember, son, always look after number one because no one else is going to do it. It's a bit sad, isn't it? But there's a sense in which that's kind of the default way of thinking. And that is really important background for us today as we consider the free grace of God. Last week, we began a new sermon series on this theme of grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor for us, expressed through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for us. It's something that we make our own by faith, by trusting in him. And today, we're just going to zero in on one aspect of that, which is the very simple fact that grace is free. The grace of God is free. And whilst that sounds like a sort of such an astonishingly simple concept that perhaps we wonder why we even have to talk about it. Because we so often struggle to believe that anything in life is actually free, I think this really takes some believing. In fact, I want to suggest to you that it takes a lifetime of discovery and rediscovery as a Christian to absorb and live in the deep joy of that truth. That the grace of God is free. That it is undeserved. It is unearned. You cannot buy it. There is nothing you can do to obtain or retain the favor of God. And you don't need to do anything to extract it from him. It is free. And that is my prayer for all of us this morning. That, we would, that God would actually, by his spirit, somehow expand our hearts this morning. That that free grace would, in a new way, pour in. Uh, whether for the first time or the thousandth. So, God's grace is free. We're going to focus this morning just on, on one verse in the particular passage that we've just heard. If you want to take a Bible out uh, and keep it open at page 1184, Ephesians 2, that's where we're going to be. You might want to look it up on a phone. The verses will be on the screen as well. It, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The Apostle Paul here is writing about grace. And he says grace is the basis of salvation. I know that's another big religious word, but we've got to grapple with it here because there's an immediate challenge in this passage. If there is good news, 
in grace. It's only going to appear good news to us if we sense that there is some kind of need for salvation for us. So let's just back up in the passage of verse 4 where Paul explains why we need saving. He says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now that's a picture of rebellion against God. I don't know what you, what you make of it. Let me just explain what he's saying. First of all, he's saying that our attitudes and our actions are motivated, motivated by the flesh. All sorts of self-seeking, unsavory, low-minded, godless drivers behind what we do. Now, that's not a great kind of starting point, but actually, he he says that's not the full extent of the problem. He he says that puts us in eternal peril. Verse 5, he says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, wrath, that's, that's the settled, holy disapproval of our creator and master God. And Paul is saying that that's our default, our by nature position. Now, some of us may already feel this very keenly. And actually, we, we, this morning, we just don't need any reminder of any of this. We, we desperately want to know, frankly, just if anything can be done. And there is good news to come. So if that's you, you just, we're going to get there. Hold on. But let me just park here for just a moment longer, because it may be that we see it differently. It may be that we read this diagnosis Paul gives of our lives. And actually, we find that quite hard to accept of ourselves, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desire and thoughts. That's what he says. But we may feel, well, frankly, you know, Paul, perhaps that's you. It's not me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I pay my taxes. You know, I take biscuits into the office on Tuesday. I love my kids. I, perhaps I even take the really fiddly pieces of plastic film to the recycling point at Sainsbury's. I'm a good person. Does God really, are we really saying that God feels a a settled, holy disapproval towards me in my sin? And you know, I think that's a really important question to ask because that's a big obstacle for people in their Christian faith. There's a lot that people don't mind about the Christian faith, but this one, really? What can we say to that? Well, there's a great deal that we can say. Let me just say one thing this morning. The trouble with sin is that it's a bit like colorblindness. Colorblindness affects your ability to see, but the additional challenge of colorblindness is that you can't see that you can't see. So you have to take one of those tests that someone else designs who can in order to work it out. And it's the same with sin. Part of sin is that we can't actually see that we're sinful. Part of sin is that you and I, we have this inner lawyer inside. And that inner lawyer just works overtime. And at the first mention of, of our condition, you know, there's something broken. But the inner lawyer starts wheeling out the defense. Let me tell you why this person is actually much better than you think. And we, we all have that. But that is our condition, or at least that's what the Bible suggests is our condition. So let's keep going with the story of salvation. Paul goes on, he says, but God, verse 4, but God, and this is a great biblical phrase. You could write a whole book on the words, but God. In fact, someone has, it's a great book. But God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, 
even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And this is an, given where we've just been, this is just an astonishing picture. You know, we've been in the kind of entrails of all our corruption. And suddenly, we've got this idea of being seated in a place of honor. I don't know, have you ever been called up to sit next to the important person? Well, then you've got a sense of what Paul means here. We've been seated with Christ. Salvation is about moving from being objects of wrath all the way to being seated with Christ. Having the most incredibly privileged royal relationship. Right next to the king of kings. On the velvet cushion. In the golden chair. And how? How? Why? On what basis? Well, he says freely. It's been done by grace. And I want to just spend the, last, the rest of our time together just focusing on how that grace works here. It's explained in two ways. First of all, it's explained in this way. It's not from ourselves, but it's from God. Verse 8 says... It is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. If you're a driver, you will be familiar with these signs here over oncoming traffic. It's, it's a priority sign. Uh, and it's usually around some kind of traffic calming measures. Now, you'll have seen these signs. There isn't actually a sign for how the traffic flow normally is, but we can all imagine it, right? So it would sort of have two arrows. They'd both be black, and they'd both be the same size next to each other. The flow would be identical in both directions. That's normal. And often we believe that that's actually how God works. It's sort of, it's like tit for tat. We put in our bit, you know, that's the arrow from us to him. Then he does his bit, that's the arrow from him to us. And, and so the spiritual world goes round. That's not what grace is like. Grace is much more like this sign. Big, fat arrow from God to us. Very small, secondary arrow going the other way. Or possibly even more like this one. Just one big, fat arrow. All God pouring out his love towards us. Utterly independent of what we might give in return. Not from ourselves, but from God. Now, I wonder whether you know that for yourself. Do you know that your present standing with God, your, your eternal security, it's just totally from him. This is not something you can achieve or arrange or buy or acquire. It's, it's from him. It's all done through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's an event at which neither you nor I were present and to which we did not contribute. We'll come back to that. So it's not from ourselves, but it's from God. And the second way it's free, uh, Paul says, it's not by works, but as a gift. Not by works, but as a gift. Uh, verse 8 again. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, it's a grasp this. You have to understand there's two different methods uh, being contrasted here to obtain God's favor. One of the methods is works. So some of Paul's readers, perhaps some of us, had got into thinking that God would look on them kindly because of their works. So if they did their religious duty, 
in their case, that would involve uh, circumcision for the men, temple attendance, ceremonial washing, avoiding certain kind of foods, so forth. If they did all of that, God would look on them favorably. And perhaps we, we get to thinking like that. God will look on me favorably if I give a certain amount of charity, if I attend church in small groups, if I uh, read my Bible regularly, if I uh, avoid swearing, if I avoid lying, if I avoid extramarital sex, or whatever other sins particularly seem to be prominent at the time. If I just do all of that, then God will be, you know, pleased. But God says that we have been saved not by works. So all the things I've just listed, they are definitely part of a healthy Christian life, but they aren't the reason we're saved. They're a response. They're not the reason. God's grace is not like that. It's a gift. And uh, any of us who've kind of done Christmas with kids recently, you remember how it works? A gift, the only requirement is basically open hands. That's all you need. And that's, that's an amazing picture of what the Christian faith is. Faith is open hands to receive God's gift. It's by grace you've been saved. So here is, this is just a thought experiment for you, which I think lands this. You could delete every single good deed, every religious observance from your history, and you could still receive grace. You could still receive the favor of God by faith. And conversely, you could live a life of outstanding righteousness exemplary generosity, piety, and still not be saved because you're doing it all just to prove yourself determined that you will not accept any help from God. That's an extraordinary thought, isn't it? In fact, that is a crazy thought for many people. It's absolutely mind-blowing that God would work like that and not by works. But that's what it means, that God's grace is free. All right, well... What does this mean for us? Three things, briefly. Take it. Don't try to earn it. Keep reflecting it. Take it, first of all. God's grace is free. Take it. I don't know how you feel this morning. I imagine we've got the whole uh, spectrum of religious sensibility here this morning. Perhaps this morning you're feeling so far from God. Perhaps church actually is frankly quite an uncomfortable place for you. Uh, you, You may have lived a long time in that sort of slightly despairing gap between what you know you should be and what you actually are day in, day out. And perhaps you've promised yourself on more than one occasion that, you know, this year or this week or this month, you know, you're really going to sort it out and, you know, make a fist of trying to live well and be the kind of person that God would really finally be pleased with. But it's never really lasted, but it's ever started. And Perhaps you even struggle, frankly, to think that God has any positive concern for you at all. Perhaps you, you, you've, you've got to thinking he's a sort of bare tolerance. He's a kind of, you go and sit in the back corner and try not to make too much sound. That sort of thing. Well, to you, as much as to any other person, God offers his grace for free. Take it. You can take it. You can put your faith in him, whether today is your... First day in this building, whether you've been coming here for four decades, and frankly, you've still never grasped hold of this, today may be that day where you just need to take the grace of God. You can take it. So that's the first thing, take it. 
Secondly, don't try to earn it. Don't try to earn it. If you're a Christian already, God's grace has been given to you freely. So don't go back to trying to earn the free grace of God. Don't let yourself slide back into an existence where your sense of whether God's approval is on you is based on how you feel in your faith or your recent religious performance or your relative success in doing something. Because I think that does actually happen. It happens very, very easily. I was reading this week a book by uh, Tim Keller, and he suggests that that is actually our default mode of thinking. So in our heads, if we've been going to church for a while and we've been listening to sermons, we, we believe Jesus accepts me and so I will live a good life. But in our hearts and our actions, we often act like I live a good life and therefore Jesus accepts me. So how, how, do, how do I know this is going on in my life? Well, basically it works like this. I have a good day and then I feel close to God. And then I have a bad day and I imagine him sliding me cruelly down the star chart. And, and now this is difficult because once you're in that place, you are riding the disagreeable roller coaster of works righteousness. And this is what happens. We alternate between smug self-satisfaction, I really nailed it today, and insecurity, anxiety, and self-hatred. Oh, I made such a mess of it today. And actually, it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. That spills over into the whole of our lives. So you take all of that stuff together. It's fertile ground for defensiveness, critical spirit, in-crowd behavior, allergy to change, spiritual apathy. And all of that comes out of this mindset that I'm going to try and earn God's grace, even though I've already got it. But free grace does the opposite. We get humbled and comforted at the same time. We get joy. We just become kind of able to just admit that we've blown it. We sense a new graciousness towards others because we know they're just the same as us. And we begin to find the resources to turn from ourselves to others as well. And that's what we long for in this church, isn't it? You may have noticed in our vision uh, that we've shared from time to time, uh, we long to be a place of Christ-centered revival. We pray for, we dream for revival in this church. And what we mean by that is this. When one person experiences the grace of God in a new and life-changing way, that's, that's renewal. Revival is when a whole load of people rediscover that all at the same time. And that's what we want. And this is how it happens. Revival starts, it starts in the hearts of people who are already Christians. When the free grace of God suddenly just dawns on them like a, like a sunrise that they've never seen before. And it, 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 it rises in their own hearts. And then it begins to spill over into their whole lives and then into their homes and then into communi communities and workplaces and schools and a whole area. And that's what we pray for. So don't try to, don't try to go back to earning it. And finally, briefly, keep reflecting it. Keep reflecting the grace of God. Let's keep reflecting the free love of God in the way we are as a church. We long for people who come and, come and see us to see in us a reflection of what God is like. 
And this is a great moment, I think, to celebrate what's going on in our warm spaces and our Friday Renew Cafe. We've got a wonderful crowd of volunteers, and I can see a lot of you here this morning. Thank you to you all who are, are putting in the hours for that. Giving your time, giving your attention, giving your resources for free to others who come in. We've got a group of people in our church family, you may want to join them, who are free to relocate their workspace to over there uh, on, a, on an afternoon. Not just because it's nice for them, but also because they're happy to just have a couple of extra minutes here or there to speak with someone, um, uh, cheer them up, offer them some company, uh, some conversation. What we long for is not just for our guests to be physically warmed and relationally warmed, although we long for all those as well, We want them to be spiritually warmed by the free grace of God. And here's part of how it happens. The story of God's grace is written in our lives. And they can read it in the way that we are. And they think, why? Oh, perhaps it's their God. And that's what we really long. We long that people would know the story and that our whole lives would speak it. All right, I've gone on for a while. Uh, That'll do for now. Today we looked at the free grace of God. Take it. Don't try to earn it. Keep reflecting it. We're going to dwell on that thought a little bit more now as we come to sing again. Uh, This is uh, an ancient hymn uh, that captures just this wonderful truth. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy love, that thy grace was shed for thy blood was shed for me. It's this idea that the love of God is free because of the grace of Jesus. Let's stand to sing. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.